0: Despised and rejected. Surely you are one of them, for you are a Galilean, and your speech shows it. Then he began to curse and swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. Taken from the story of Peter's denial in the courtyard of the priest, of course. But you can imagine you're facing the greatest trial of your life, hearing your closest companion and confidant denying that he even knows you maybe you can. There was a prophet in ancient Israel who spoke of the things that the Messiah would, would be doing and experiencing as though he was a witness to the events, and that would be Isaiah. And as all of you know, a way around your Bible know Isaiah was incredibly accurate in his messianic predictions. Prophecies, and one of the oracles he wrote 700 years before Jesus came, really sums up the last 24 hours of Jesus' life, and The latter half of Mark that we're studying today he is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. The words of his closest friend Peter, here in our title verse, spoken just a couple hours after he had sworn to die for Jesus, if he had to, were indicative of the death and totality of the rejection and the the loneliness that... Jesus was facing in this hour, those words really kind of sum up like the totality of this rejection coming from his, from his closest companion. His only comfort in these hours was knowing that he was fulfilling his father's will, even while knowing that the worst part of that final rejection would come from the father himself. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The most desperate and heart words ever spoken from the face of this earth, no doubt coming from the Son of God, Son of Man, as he hung on that on cross under a black sky over a, over a bloody earth. And this rejection would also be summed up by the prophet in the very next verse. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, and we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. Jesus knows our pain, our grief. He knows our sorrows. Because he not only experienced his own, but he carried ours. There may be days and seasons where we feel we're carrying a burden we can't bear when it seems that all of creation has turned away from us or turned on us and we feel alone and rejected. But we have a Lord who was despised and rejected, the depths of which we'll never truly understand, yet knowing he was assures us that he understands ours. But so much more than that, there may be days and seasons when it seems that God himself has turned his back on us that even smitten us, to use the words of the prophet here. But that thought can't be farther from the truth. That's a lie from the pit. that comes from the enemy, and he uses it to cripple us and to steal our hope. Because it was specifically to assure that we would not and could not be rejected or despised by the Lord, that he suffered all that he did that Jesus did. He was rejected and despised by men and afflicted by the Father. He drank from the cup of God's wrath so that we would not have to, ever. Yes, people may turn on us and we may feel despised and rejected at times, but it's just a temporary discomfort in the the light of the fact that no matter what they say or do, we have one who loves us, who knows our innermost being and, and chose to die for us anyways, so that we could always be with him. Even if we may not always act like we're worthy of love, he loves us nonetheless. And ultimately, Jesus knew that in the end, that he would be restored to the Father, to his right hand, and that he would have the joy of seeing us walk in the freedom of knowing that we were going to join him there one day. And that's why he was able to pray in the garden, Father, not my will, but thine be done. Mark 14, 35, he went a little farther and fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible... The hour might pass from him, and he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, not what I will, but what you will. The darkest hours at the end of Jesus' life set the stage for the beginning of our freedom. And those dark hours make up a heartbreaking story, but it would end in our mended hearts. But in that garden long ago, our hearts are still being broken. There were still hearts being broken as a dark night fell in the valley of death that Jesus was about to enter, and and so he calls for his three closest friends, his companions, to be with him and support him in prayer. But even so, he would end up utterly alone. Find Mark 14 if you haven't already. I'm going to read from verse 32. They came from a place which is named Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. And he took Peter, James, and John with him, and began to be troubled and deeply distressed. Then he said to them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch. Verse 35. Then he went a little farther and fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. Then he came and found them sleeping and said to Peter, Simon, are you still sleeping? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again he went away and prayed and spoke the same words. And when he returned, he found them asleep again. For their eyes were heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. Then he came the third time and said to him, Are you still sleeping and resting? It's enough. The hour has come. Behold, the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See my betrayer is at hand. And immediately, while he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, with a great multitude with swords and clubs, came from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. Now his betrayer had given him a signal, saying, Whomever I kiss, he is the one. Seize him and lead him safe, lead him away safely. Yeah, going you know, to betray him to death, but make sure he's safe. Sorry. As soon as he had come, immediately he went up to him and said to him, Rabbi, Rabbi, and kissed him. Verse 46. Then they laid their hands on him and took him. And one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Then Jesus said to him, have you come out against me as against a robber? With swords and clubs to take me, I was with you daily in the temple teaching, and you didn't seize me. But the scriptures must be fulfilled. Then they all forsook him and fled. We'll stop there for now. The adoring crowds of the day in the temple courts have become an angry mob. Carrying weapons as though they're out to apprehend a dangerous criminal. He has been betrayed with a kiss of friendship by one of his chosen, chosen 12 apostles who has sold him off for cash. He's been forsaken and abandoned by the ones who have been by his side for three years. They forsook him and fled. I looked up that word, forsook. It means so much more than just leaving someone. It means to oppose, to renounce, to leave, abandon, or give up. So there's, there's a malicious intent behind that word behind that action that's being communicated here. They, they weren't just escaping with their lives. This was a, a disownment accompanied by a bailout. Abandoned ship. The camp, captain's incompetent. He deserves what's coming. And I suspect there really wasn't a lot of thinking going on here in this moment. Just a lot of every man for himself. This is all gone to you-know-what. Emotion and fear going on here. Just a gut reaction. One minute you're waiting for your king to take his throne. And give you a cabinet position and the next minute you're in fear of being arrested by some of the most powerful people in the nation and your soon-to-be king seems to have just given up mean put away our swords you, you're just going with them and all goes back to that emotion and feelings and no understanding that we talked about last week that peter was operating in as we seen him facing in the courtyard and Jesus laid out this for them over and over again, what was going to happen for all of them. And yet they would never comprehended, they never understood what was going on. And they had all the prophecies, like the one from Isaiah, that we started with, knowing this was supposed to happen. Yet as soon as they got frightened and challenged, that's it. They were all done. But even in that, they were making themselves part of the plan. Part of the plan of redemption, playing a vital, although painful role, in their own ultimate salvation and adoption as sons. But on this day, they're they're the prodigals, running away from the father, regardless of what, what he thinks. And like Adam and Eve in that garden so long ago, they fled, naked and ashamed, because they knew what they had done was wrong. What do you mean naked and ashamed? Let's read the next verse. Now a certain young man followed him, having a linen cloth thrown around his naked body, and the young man laid a hold of him, and he left the linen cloth and fled from them naked." Seemed like kind of a random verse thrown in there. Going through this, I realize, some people think it's Mark, we don't know for sure. I realize that the strange little tidbit is in here, probably because it's an indication that the story has come full circle. Just before it's about to be changed forever. The children of Adam are still running away from God in the garden for shame of being naked and exposed in their weakness and guilt. But the sons and daughters of Adam are about to overcome and become the children of the new Adam. The Son of Man has come to suffer the humiliation and death that the sons of Adam deserved and brought themselves so that we could be free from that shame and fear of condemnation forever. And it was a shame that would cause Judas, Judas to kill himself before he could see his redemption but which would eventually make the rest of them all the more grateful for the grace that was going to be theirs, despite the pain that they were inflicting on the Lord Lord this night. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, and so it is written, the first Adam became a living being, the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. That life-giving spirit is the Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ in us. There's no more shameful and fearful nakedness Nakedness calling, causing God to have to come seeking us because we're running away and hiding. Only the promise that we're will now return to the garden. We were kicked out of the garden in shame. And now on this shameful night in another garden, we're being restored to that garden. Where we will be walking with our God forever. We're going to read from verse 53. The protectors of truth think they're about to throw the last item out of the garden. Well, let's just throw the Lord out of the garden. But little did they know that their plans were going to backfire. Verse 53, and they led Jesus away to the high priest, and with him were assembled all the chief priests, the elders, and the scribes. Peter followed him at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest, and he sat with the servants and warned himself at the fire. Now the chief priests and all the council sought testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but found none. For many bore false witness against him, but their testimonies did not agree. Then some rose up and bore witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I'll destroy this temple made with hands. Within three days, I'll build another made without hands. But not even then did their testimony agree. And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, saying, Do you answer nothing? What is it these men testify against you? But he kept silent and answered nothing. Again, the high priest asked him, saying, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. Verse 63. Then the priest tore his clothes and said, What further need do we have of witnesses? You've heard the blasphemy. What do you think? and they all condemned him to be deserving of death. Then some began to spit on him, and to blindfold him, and to beat him, and to say to him, Prophesy. And the other officers struck him with the palms of their hands. Stop there. Jesus suffered the injustice and acquiesced to their illegitimate authority for one reason, so that we could be free of any verdict that unjust and illegitimate courts of law and public opinion could endeavor to impose on us. He carried this shame of rejection so that we would not. We're entering into a season in this nation where we're, we're becoming, as believers in Christ and adherence to his word, fair game for persecution, censorship, and even prosecution. The enemy has gained the highest platforms and has the loudest voice in the land right now. And he's doing everything he can to cause society at large to despise and to reject the message of the Gospel, and all who dare to speak and live it. I don't need to give you examples. If I do, then you're part of the problem. All of you who are awake can see and hear the outright insanity and blatant lies that are being propagated as true and proper behavior. The killing, the enslavement, and perversions of our most innocent and vulnerable. The militarization and the transformation of our once free republic the abolishment of the rights that have protected the church and all God-fearing people for so long. As they Isaiah talked about this, too. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. All is as was prophesied long ago. And we're not deceived or blind to the truth. Evil is called good, and good is called evil. And all those who dare to speak out or express concern are quickly dumped on, ostracized, threatened, and destroyed. And this is more than an attack on our nation. This is more than an attack on our traditions and values. This is not politics as usual. This is an outright war on the church, on us as Christians. And unless we're bold enough, prayed up and anointed enough, Loving and courageous enough to turn the hearts of this nation back to God. It's only going to get worse until we're done and gone. The church and then the blessed and free nation where all people can worship their God as they see fit will be no more. It will just be upon what's left of this nation and the enemy's end time strategy to destroy the crown of God's creation. Mankind and doom us all to eternal death, separated from our Father. That's all the enemy wants. Destroy everything the Father loves, starting with us. But if we recognize and hold on to the knowledge, the hope and the truth of our place in Christ, to the fact that no matter how despised and rejected we may be, by the shrill and intimidating voices coming at us from all sides, we are not despised and we are not rejected. Not by the only one that really matters, our Father. Because we know and have not despised and rejected His Son and the grace and hope that He gives us. We have a secret weapon that the world cannot know because it neither sees Him nor knows Him, but we know Him for He is in us and will be with us the Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth, which the world cannot see. Jesus said, but you know him, for he will be in you, and he will be with you. When all seems hopeless and lost, God is just getting started. And that's when the miracles start kicking, and that's that's when the Holy Spirit, which Peter didn't have in that day in the courtyard, he didn't get that until after Jesus ascended. And in that day, When all seems hopeless and lost, that Holy Spirit starts kicking in and rises up and says, yes, as we will, I know the Galilean. And I am with him and I'll always be with him. And we won't be weeping any bitter tears. I will not be weeping any bitter tears today. Peter said, man, I don't know what you're saying. Weren't you with that Galilean? Aren't you one of his followers? Your accident gives you away. Immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word of the Lord, and how he said to him, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So Peter went out and wept bitterly. Those days of powerless victimization and fear are gone. We are spirit-empowered and fearless warriors of Christ. And the enemy fears us. The only reason the enemy would be so determined and blatant in his attempts to silence us is because he fears the truth of God's word in our mouths, which is the primary reason Jesus gave us the Holy Spirit to bring to remembrance all that he taught us so that we could be witnesses in all the world. That means we're speaking the truth of God. The enemy can't stand that. He can't stand up against that because time and again he's been defeated by God's word. Even in what he thought would be his greatest triumph, destroying the very Son of God by deceiving his people and rejecting and despising him, even to death, he was being defeated by the word of God. Because he didn't understand the prophecies that he was fulfilling in his blind and hate-fueled rage. Isaiah 53, because he poured out his soul unto death, he, he was numbered with the transgressors and bore the sins of many and made intercession for the transgressors. God used the hatred and evil that was unleashed by man's disobedience and blindness to evil to achieve his ultimate purpose, to restore us to a right relationship with him. And I have to believe the same thing's happening today. So yeah, the enemy can think he's having his day, but it's going to be short-lived. Because our God lives. And his words, his promises never go unfulfilled. Never. Never. And the more this world and enemy tries to stop us, the more the words of the prophets are being fulfilled and setting us up for the final outpouring of His Spirit and the return of our King. And again, the high priest asked Him, saying to Him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. A direct quote from Ezekiel concerning the day of the Lord. Then the high priest tore his clothes and said, what further need do we have of witnesses? You've heard the blasphemy, what do you think? And they condemned him to be deserving of death. You can just see Satan doing his victory dance at that moment. Yeah, yeah I'm going to do it, I'm going to kill the Son of God. But he's a fool. And so are all those who do his bidding. We who love our God, love his word, and welcome his Holy Spirit are never alone, never despised, never rejected by our God. And God never fails to amaze me as to how he continues to reveal that to us even today if we'll just pay attention. A couple of weeks ago, I was <coughs> blessed to get to take a day off from work to uh, attend a spiritual heatings, heating. Yeah, spiritual heating. <laughs> it's great for the aches and pains. <laughs> or you can get over to a spiritual healing seminar put on by Elijah House at New Life and Laurel. And basically there are. Spread over a three-day period, there were several sessions of teaching, each followed by a quiet time of prayer, just you and the Lord. And one of the sessions had to do with overcoming shame. Shame that may have been inflicted on you by rejection or condemnation of someone in your life that caused you to question your worth or your worthiness to be loved. Which, of course, greatly affects how you relate and respond to the world around you. Being despised and rejected can have great psychological effects that, Last way beyond the initial hurt. So, after this particular session, we're asked, we're instructed to ask the Lord to reveal to us in prayer words or an event in our lives that might have caused us shame, something that we may not even remember or as being anything that really impacted us. As I was praying, I kept having this memory of a hockey practice in Minnesota when I was seven or eight years old, and it wasn't one of those repressed memories. I remember this event well and often, and it was something that I have dealt with, and as far as I know, gotten over with. And this, we're doing reps back and forth on the ice under the lights in the falling Minnesota snow. Near the end of practice, I see my stepfather standing by the coach at the outside of the hockey rink. And I skate over to him. I'm kind of surprised to see him. She's there to pick me up, I guess, which was weird because I usually walked home. And just as I get over there, I hear him respond to a question or a comment by the coach. And he says, oh, that's not my boy. That's Sandy's boy. Just wait till my boy gets old enough to be out here. He's going to be a real athlete. And I've told you before, I was never the best hockey player. And I had plenty of reminders like this one. But what was hurtful about the experience was that my stepfather felt a need, and this wasn't the only time I'd hear this story's making known, that I was Sandy's boy, not his. Like that would have been embarrassing to him to have me as a son. Fine, whatever. I got over that long ago. I really did. And I always knew my real father and knew that he loved me a lot, and that he's proud of me. So that although it, it didn't do a lot for my self-esteem in the moment there to, have him diss me in front of the coach. It wasn't really life-altering. My real father never despised or rejected me, and my mother always made me feel special by telling me that I could do whatever I've set my mind to, and I believed her. Hockey just wasn't one of those. (laughs) I just wasn't that into it. Small wonder with the great encouragement from my stepdad, but anyway, so something was just not clicking in this prayer time. why do I keep having this memory? This doesn't seem like that big of a deal. I've dealt with this. It wasn't the negative aspect of the rejection that seemed to be the focus of this memory is what was kind of puzzling to me. It was those words I kept echoing, echoing over and over in my mind. That Sandy's boy. And s- soon the session was over and it's break time and just before I walk into the back room where all the yummies are, I check my phone and I see I have a message, so I, I listened to it and immediately I ducked into a storage closet and uh, called the person back who had left the message. It was an outpatient nurse who worked with my mother. My mother was in the hospital again. She's been in and out of the hospital a lot the last few years, and, and she's having a really hard time there at the hospital, and the nurse is really hoping that someone from the family could go be with her. She had already called my brother and sister, and they were unable to leave their jobs right then. And My mother had had a similar thing happen a month ago, earlier, where she was in the hospital, and they thought she had a stroke, and this incident had been accompanied by terrible hallucinations and great confusion that left her traumatized and just terrified of hospitals. And so this this had me very worried. I need to be there. She can't go through this again. And I'm, as I'm listening to the nurse tell me what's going on, and. I keep hearing these words again, that's Sandy's boy, that's Sandy's boy. But now it's also accompanied by the pressing thought, Sandy Neeser boy. And so immediately I excused myself from the conference and left on in the capable hands of Gary and Shannon who were there with us. And uh, I found my mother in a room, off the emergency room, very agitated, scared, and confused doesn't understand what's going on, why she's there, where she's at. Well, it turns out she had a brain bleed caused by extremely high blood pressure. And uh, so they needed to bring that down. And I spent the day with her comforting, reassuring, and praying for her. And long story short, she is on the mend. Between me and my siblings over the next week, we kept her in a place of peace and love, reassuring her that she would be okay. And uh, I know last week I had you pray for and we talked told you a little bit about this but this is the rest of the story of that day God showed up once again to be there when I needed him most in what could have been a very long and dark lonely what could have been very long in what could have been a long and very dark lonely hour I think I said that right those words and the fact that I knew without a doubt that they came from the Lord in just that moment gave me an insurance that I wasn't alone. I knew this was where I was supposed to be. The Lord set this up. I knew he was there. He got me there. He worked it out so I could be there. I was being comforted and remembered in what could have been a very distressful time, and just as importantly, he was remembering my mother. And had set up this day just so I could be there with her. Just Sandy and her boy. Knowing that God is in control. He remembered both of us and he made that dark valley a lot less frightening. And that's that's what we're talking about here. Because Jesus was rejected, we never will be. Mm-hmm. And he proves it over and over again. He was despised and rejected of men, Isaiah fifty three, three, a man of sorrow is acquainted with grief. And he hit, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. But that's not the end of the story. Paul writes in Romans 8.1, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. And i tell you that story as inadequate as words are to explain what was truly a deeply spiritual and emotional encounter experience to try to illustrate to you the incredible and almost unfathomable significance and veracity of God's love for us and the treasure that we have available to us because of Jesus' willingness to experience that rejection and being despised. The Holy Spirit working well in advance and through multiple levels of players and circumstances set me up to take that day off from work, the first this year. To be at a conference where I'd be in a room full of people who were contending and believing for the Holy Spirit to move among us unhindered by doubts or distractions of those who aren't comfortable with the person of the Holy Spirit. And so I'm in a room saturated with his presence and given opportunity encouragement to listen for a word. And the word he gave me was relevant to what we'd been learning in that session. And it did encourage me, but more importantly, it set me up spiritually for the raw experience of seeing my mother in a near-death state of delirium and physical peril. And then he stayed with us throughout the day. He made known clearly, powerfully, and sweetly through all of this that I was not alone, that I was not despised nor rejected by my God. No matter what, I was never and would never be alone. But more than that, through this experience, he was caring for my mother. He didn't just set the stage for me to be able to handle the challenge of the day and the weeks to come, he was also setting things up for my mother, whom he also loves and will never despise, reject, or leave alone. He made sure we wouldn't be going through the dark valley alone. That I would be there and able to reassure and remind her that her Lord was there as well. And tell you what, that made a difference between what could have been a nightmare and terrible experience for her, as it had been before, and just a hurdle to get over. And I could feel in the room the darkness was just itching to take over, as it has before, but not today, Bubba. Because my God was despised and rejected, me and mine aren't. And my mother is on the mend. She's in a great rehab facility right now, and she actually likes it there, which is a miracle in itself. She was very opposed to doing something like that and going to another strange place. And uh, me and my siblings have been brought together in a way we haven't been in years, helping her get through this. An anguish and lonely prayer in a garden, a kiss of betrayal, a curse and denial from a best friend, a crooked trial and horrendous accusations by the very priest who claimed to be representing the father you serve and who sent you, and the death sentence for the blasphemy is that the Son of God is incapable of committing, pain, anguish, betrayal, abuse, and slander. It all led to a whispered word to a descendant of a barbarian half a world and two millennia away. That's Sandy's boy. But you know what that really means, what it meant to me? That's not just Sandy's boy. The Heavenly Father says in that, that's my boy. His mother is my daughter. He says that to all of us. And there is therefore now no condemnation, no shame, no fear. For he walks through the valley of the shadow, I will fear no evil, because he walks with me and I am with him. What more could we possibly need, want, or desire? He said, maybe this. Jesus said, I am. I am the Christ, the Son of the Most Blessed. And you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. I am the one who was and is to come, is coming back for you and me. And, Lord, I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. Jesus said. Oh, I was thinking about that story an experience. My mother and, uh, you know, I'm 59 years old. You're all supposed to say, no, you only look like you're 35. <laughs> <laughs> of all... 59 years, you hear and experience a lot of things, right? 20 years, 30 years, 40 years. You hear a lot of things. You can't even fathom the things that you've heard and experienced. They're all, they're all stored away in your brain or somewhere, the mind the is an amazing thing. But of, of all those things I've heard, I've lived in five states, I've been through season after season after season, had kids and grandkids that those three particular words from 1969 in northern Minnesota, that Sandy's boy, are the ones that came to me that morning in Laurel, Montana, when I'm trying desperately to get the Lord to cooperate with me and reveal something to me that I need to deal with. I kept hearing those words, that's Sandy's boy. Like, yeah, you know, what does that mean? don't tell me the Holy Spirit isn't alive and well and speaking to us. uh, He took those words in that moment from 50 years ago of rejection, really. That's what they were, words of rejection. And used them to confirm to me that something's about to be real to you that you need to deal with and it's going to be okay because I'm here. And I've just told you about it. And that's, those words of rejection spoken 50 years ago became an assurance to me that God was with us through that. And that's, that's what we're talking about. He was despised and rejected of men. Those, all those circumstances and words of rejection, two millennia ago, God turned into a good thing, became an affirmation for us that we can be adopted as sons and daughters of the living God. Because he was despised and rejected, we are not. And in what they thought were they were setting a trap for him, we'll get him to we'll get him to say, I'm the Christ, I'm the Son of Man. That's blasphemy. He can't possibly be that. Then we've got him. We can condemn him to death. Those words of rejection became the words of acceptance that when we confess those same words, give us life. That's just the amazing God we serve. Works all things together for the good of those who love him are called according to his purpose. So pay attention. What is the Lord showing you? What is he teaching you? What is, he, what is the Holy Spirit reminding you of when you, when you need it, when you don't even know you need it? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for sending your son to be despised and rejected. Giving him the strength to endure so that that strength could be transferred to us because of the hope that is found. Because you didn't leave your your Holy One in the land of the dead you restored him he did not see corruption he was redeemed restored sitting at the right hand of glory beckoning us walk with me be with me I will never leave you nor forsake you in this world you will have trouble do not fear for I have overcome the world Lord, we we thank you for those promises. We thank you for those assurances. We thank you for your Holy Spirit, which resides in us, which gives us courage, which gives us comfort, which gives us strength. And Lord, as we face this world, the darkness seems to be encroaching, that we have a light, that we have a power, that we have a strength that can never be overcome. that power, that strength, that light is you. Help us to never forget that. Never grow weary. Never be afraid to never give up or give in. Thank you, Lord, for meeting us here. Thank you for the days we have ahead. Every day is a new day to walk with you. As you can thank you for every one of them. In Jesus' name, amen.